This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, up to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by the former owner of the Houston Rockets and Sacramento Kings, currently is one of the minority owners of the Stanley Cup champion Las Vegas Golden Knights. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for coming on the program. My pleasure. Uh, I really followed you, Brett. Great player. (laughs) Well, thank you. And hey, congrats on the Stanley Cup. I know you were busy with that recently. Pretty awesome. Uh, When when do you get your ring? That's what I want to know. That's a good question. But I think normally they, they hand out the rings the first game of the, uh, the the upcoming season, the regular season game. So I think we probably get the rings right around then. Very cool. Very cool. And, and uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome winning a, a championship at the highest level. Um, all right. I've had a ton of players, football, basketball, baseball, general managers, presidents, uh, actors, Hollywood guys, journalists, never had an owner on. So this is going to be interesting for me. I got some, I got, I played for a lot of owners, but I've never interviewed one. So I'm looking forward to this. Um, Let's talk about the family a little bit. My family, obviously a baseball family. It was kind of what my dad used to, you know, kind of tease and say, oh, it's the family business. The Maloof family business is owning teams, distributorships. Uh, You own the iconic Palms Hotel in Las Vegas, where we're going to get to a little bit later. That's my kind of when I was young and I watched the real world. You kind of put it on the map. Um, talk to me about that and the family dynamic. Was it the family business? Is that is that where you kind of were born into, like me, baseball? Well, we were Coors distributors for 75 years in New Mexico. That's how we really started. Then we got into uh, liquor and we had Jack Daniels, Bacardi, uh, you know, uh, Robert Bandavi, we had wine. So we, that was our core business. And then we always wanted to be in Las Vegas, and we built the Palms. And we actually had the Fiesta Casino before the Palms. That, that was in North Las Vegas. That was the, the first casino ever in North Las Vegas. We sold that, built the Palms, and, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a smash hit. And then we got into sports. We, My father owned the Rockets in 1978. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away in 1980. I became the youngest owner ever in professional sports at 
24. <laughs> and uh, so now I'm a little older, but uh, we own the Rockets. We sold that when my dad died and then the Kings for probably 15 years and now the Knights. And just finally, we, uh, after all, everything I've been through and all the teams and, and playoffs that we've been accustomed to, my family, we finally got a ring. Pretty awesome. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned your father bought the Rockets. Uh, he passed away shortly thereafter. You took the reins. Twenty four years old. I couldn't imagine what would that be like sitting at going to the owners' meetings and sitting in that room. And here comes this twenty four year old. How big of a challenge was that for you? And sitting there with the other owners, you know, probably of your dad's age, and they're looking at this kid going, "Wait a minute, did they take you seriously?" Well, they, <laughs> I think I, I think they did. I, I don't know. I mean, I never asked them, but uh, I can recall one story. I was we played at the, the Lakers at the best two out of three miniseries, and in the playoffs, and we had a uh, the, the Rockets were forty and forty two going into the playoffs, so we had a losing record, and we beat the. I was in Los Angeles, the best two out of three was tied up one one. I was in Los Angeles. We win the game. I run down to the court. The security guard stops me. She says, "Hey, where are you going?" I said, "Where am I going? I got to get to the to the locker room to congratulate my players." She said, "Well, I can't let you back there." I said, <laughs> "What?" I said, "Well, what do you mean you can't let me back?" I said, "I'm the owner." She says, "Yeah, and I'm the president. Get out of here." Right. She thinks and you're she, a kid going to get autographs. <laughs> yeah, and she kicked me out. I never did get back in the locker room. That's True story. Awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. When you're, when you're a kid, and, and I remember when I was 20, 22, 23 years old, when dad comes to you and says, uh, and, you know, tells you and all your siblings, hey, we're going to buy the Rockets. W was that a pretty cool thing? Like, oh, we're going oh, to own a big time. What was that like? <laughs> well, it was, it was unbelievable. Um, I was going to school at Trinity back then in San Antonio. So we had some Texas connections, and I really loved it. But you know, back then, Brad, it was it wasn't like it is today. It was uh you know, we, we played the Boston Celtics in nineteen eighty uh for the finals with the losing record and it was on tape delayed. You know, right. I don't know if you remember you wouldn't I remember I, too. I re uh, no, I remember. I remember well. 80. Okay. I, I was born in sixty nine, so yeah, Oh, okay. I, I so it was that yeah, it was on tape delayed back then. So it wasn't really – I mean, it was big. I mean, it was the NBA, but it wasn't like the NFL or, or baseball as, as much, you know. I remember, Gavin, I grew up in Philadelphia. My dad was playing for the Phillies all throughout the 70s. and So I was a Philly kid. So you say it wasn't that big, but I'll tell you what. If you were a kid in Philly, that's 76ers and Flyers and Phillies – that was my whole childhood, and that's all I remember. I remember the short shorts in the NBA. I love them. <laughs> you know, those rivalries, yeah. the Lakers of those days, and, and the Boston Celtics. And, uh, oh, that that's kind of my heyday. A lot of – I'm fortunate enough I get a lot of a lot of guys on this this podcast that that are older, and I grew up watching. And, and some of the, some of my – you know, my, my career was a lot of fun, and I have a ton of great memories. But a lot of my great memories were, as a kid, 
growing up watching the sports that I loved and, and the NBA back then, that was, that was the best time in the NBA. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, you mentioned the ownership and, and being different than too. Nowadays, there's so much money involved. Uh, there's investors, there's this, a lot of the franchises back then were owned by families and it was kind of a mom and pop. The Philadelphia Phillies in the seventies were owned by a guy by the name of Ruley Carpenter and his family just owned it. And it was kind of run that way. There wasn't, it wasn't a big corporation. Um, it's changed now. It's different in 2023. It is. Well, well, the prices of the franchises are so astronomical now that uh, it's really, it's hard to own a team unless you're Bill Gates or something. You know, you can't. Right. It's it's very difficult because it's billions and billions of dollars. It's a different mindset, different. But you know, there's still the play on the on the ice or play on the court. And, you know, that still matters. Play on the field. So that that's still it's still there. You know, we all want to win, and uh, that's still the the great thing about being in sports. As a kid, you and your brothers and and sister. Uh, did you look to dad like I'm kind of going to follow in dad's footsteps? I mean, I know as a kid, it was just kind of natural for me. I, I, I was given a ball and glove at an early age. My dad played for a long time. My grandfather before him played. And it was just kind of what I did. And when people ask me, what are you going to do when you grow up? Uh, you know, we're, we all have our, our fantasies. Or, But to me, it was like, oh, no, I'm going to play big league baseball for about 15 or 20 years. And then I'm going to do whatever I do after that. And I didn't think twice about it. It's like if people would question me, like, what, what are you going to do as a backup plan? Well, there's no backup plan. And this is what <laughs> I do. Dad, you know, this is what dad does. And this is what I'll do when I'm old enough to do it. Uh, did you look at that? Did you look to dad and say, I, I kind of want to follow what you do? I know your grandpa, Joseph, uh, he started it all with, he just opened a, a store. I don't even know what the name of the store was to get things rolling. Well, my grandfather did open a general store in Las Vegas, New Mexico, Brett. There's a, another Las Vegas. We used to call it the original Las Vegas, New Mexico. <laughs> so that's where we all started. But yeah, I wanted to follow with my, in my dad's footsteps. We, I always knew I was going to sell Coors beer. I always knew I would be in the liquor business. I always knew, well, once we got into sports and then and then we sold, unfortunately, when my dad died, we we wanted to get back in. You know, we there was something missing in our life. And now, uh, thank God we got back in with uh, with the Golden Knights and, you know, we're minority owner. But but we, we, we got a championship. It was so great for us because we've been chasing that championship for, you know, 44 years. <laughs> I mean, I, I, we, we we did we did have a championship in the WNBA. Uh, with the Sacramento Monarchs, we we had a championship there, but and that was great. I'm not uh, downplaying that, but it's still not the Big Four. So this was incredible to get a Stanley Cup. You uh, you sold the franchise, Houston Rockets, and later on you buy the Sacramento Kings. Now I played for some, I played for some owners. I, I played for Marge Shot in Cincinnati, who was that was different. She was hands-on. She was on the field every day. You know, she had her dogs running around, Shotzi, Shotzi 02. She was at every game sitting in the front row. Uh, I played for the Atlanta Braves where Ted Turner was the owner. He didn't come around much. Uh, you'd see him time to time in his seats watching the game. And then I played for, for an owner in Seattle 
uh, it was Japanese owned. He's he's since passed away. He never showed up to one gay game from the day he bought the franchise to the day he passed away. Never showed up, never heard from or anything. What kind of owner were you uh, in the Sacramento Kings days? Oh, we were hands on. I mean, we we we, we were hands on, but you know, we we still knew our limits. Um, <laughs> we knew that. Maybe we thought we knew basketball, but we really did. We left it all to the GM. And I think that's what a lot of owners make that mistake. They get, they think they know more than they do. But I think you have to trust your GM and your player personnel people to make the right decisions. If they don't make the right decisions, you get someone else. But you can't meddle in, in the, the player decisions, which we, we had our opinions, but we really left it up to the GM. But we were hands-on. We were around. We we're every game. Not every game, but most most all the games. And uh, so it, it, it was great. Uh, did you have a relationship with the players? Like you come to town, Gavin, what's going on? Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. That, that was the toughest part of sports, owning a sports team, was trading the players. Because, I mean, we had Mike Bibby and Chris Weber and Vladi and Asia, you know, we were all, it was all one big family. And so anytime you had to trade one of them for whatever reason, it was, it was difficult. And, but we, we had that cohesive bond. That's why we, we took the Lakers to seven games and we should have beat them, but uh, <laughs> that still, still irks me. But we, uh, we had a great team with Lottie and Chris Weber and uh, Stojakovic. And so, but it, it, it was great. Uh, you know, it was a great time. And, and now I'm having a great time with, with the Golden Knights, and hockey's a little different. You know, I don't, I don't profess to know hockey, right. and I don't. Profess, but but we have a great general manager, and Bill Foley's done a hell of a job, and uh, they they do know. The GM knows, and, and player personnel they know what's going on. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Biggest challenges of, of owning a franchise. You you mentioned, you know, you don't want to get too hands on. You want to let guys do their job. You hired that general manager to do that job. You might you hired that head coach to do his job. Do you find it to be challenging sometimes where you kind of want to inter you know interject your opinion or you think, well, wait a minute, I'm kind of getting emotional about it. <laughs> yeah, we, we they used to have a saying in basketball, they said we gotta protect you from yourself. I learned long ago that during the summer league in the NBA, we saw my brother Joe and I saw this player playing, and he looked really good. I mean, really good. So we asked our the head of our player personnel, said, how's this so-and-so? Can he play? He says, oh, no, he's garbage. 
And so, <laughs> so then, <laughs> we knew after that and said, well, we don't, I guess we don't really know. We think we know, but you really don't know. You know the obvious. You know a LeBron or Kobe or, or Vladi or Chris Weber. You know, some of those are obvious, but there's some that you have to see what their potential is down the road, and that's what I think a good GM does. The fans are a big part of it, and, and being on, being an owner, you'll listen to it every day. Now, as players, we're going to get critiqued by the fans. We know what we're signing up for. That's a part of the deal. As an owner, a lot of times it seems like, especially talk radio, where fans are, oh, Gavin doesn't care about our team. You know, he just is worried about the ticket sales. How much, how much did you take the fans' interaction and, and really uh, – I don't know, engage with them. And, and in a way, I mean, you can't appease everybody. It's like a player. You know, when, when we're getting critiqued by fans, it's like, listen, I'm doing the best job I can. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. But as an owner, when you hear when you hear those critiques of, oh, they don't care. It's a business. They don't care about us. Um, and I know you and, and your personality is you did care and you were all about winning. So when you hear fans, how important was it to you to kind of be engaged in some way with the fan base? We were always engaged with the fans, always. We'd, we'd stand out. I, I remember in Sacramento, I'd, I'd stand out in front of the, the, the building to shake everybody's hand as they walked in. I mean, you know, as they were right. filing in, I'd shake their hand and just thank them. Thank them for spending. They're spending a lot of money, and we wanted to win. You know, that, It was all about winning. That, that was it. That was our total focus. And myself and – my brothers and my sister, my family, we're very competitive and we play everything to win. So I think they, they knew that we wanted to win. We were doing everything we, we could to win. And I think that was a good thing, good sign for us, for the, for the fans, because that's all they care about. Yeah. And I think too, as, as players, uh, you know, during the season, it's like, I mentioned earlier, I played for a, a bunch of different owners. Um, I always looked kind of, I don't know, kind of in awe, not in awe a little bit, but kind of envious. Uh, George Steinbrenner, outspoken, polarizing figure, uh, the big, bad New York Yankees. And, and he, man, he was in the news and he was he was saying what was on his mind and he wouldn't hold back. Very critical of players. Um but as a player, I thought, you know, I'd love to play for somebody like that. He might, he might, he might give me a tongue lashing once in a while. But I know that man. At the end of the day, all he wants to do is win. And when you're in that clubhouse and in, in baseball arena, 26 guys in that clubhouse, that's all you care about. You don't care about this, that, uh, being politically correct. I could care less. It's just I know when the big boy upstairs, the owner, he's got my back and he really wants to win. That's the most important thing because we have we have such a short window in our career to, to play and try to play for a championship. Uh, when the owner has your back, I'm telling you, it, there's nothing like that, that feeling. It is. Uh, that's why we all play the game, right? Yeah. That's why you have the players. That's why you have fans. It's all about winning. And it's and. It was so great this year to, to finally win the cup. <laughs> I was with my brother, Joe, down on the ice, and we're hoisting up the Stanley Cup. It needed two of us, by the way. <laughs> it's pretty heavy. I think Joe pulled his back out, too. <laughs> but it was it was so great. What, what a great feeling. And then the parade. And 
everything and it was just it's heartwarming that you know finally we made it we finally made it after all these years we've been in sports i've been since 24 since i was 20 well actually 21 when my before my dad passed away 21 i was involved in sports so it's great and and like i said it's it's all about winning that's all there is it's not about the shirts ticket sales and all that that's all behind the scenes but it's all about winning and and i think the the players the fans everybody appreciates it we do everything we can to win and it is amazing you've been in it a long time and it just goes to show you you take you take for it for granted sometimes the championships you know the teams that win multiple championships i played for a long time my first my second year in the big leagues i went to the playoffs we came up a little bit short but i thought oh i'll be here a ton of times and i'll have a chance mm-hmm. to win plenty of rings then it's over with and you really have an appreciation for just how hard it is to win the big one to win the whole thing Think of the years you you've been in it now, and you finally won a ring. So when people, you know, you you see guys that win, you know, the Super Bowl, the uh, the NBA Finals, the World Series, it's kind of like, oh yeah, they won. You know, that's great. But it's like, do you know how hard it is and how envious <laughs> we are of players to win it? It's pretty awesome that from twenty one to your age now, this was your first championship. So I, I guess you have a real appreciation for the grind. You're 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 one thousand percent right. You know, it's I'd say to win a championship, it's impossible. <laughs> I know it's not yeah. impossible, but but like you said, you know what? So like just like what we did with with the Kings, we were in the Western Conference Finals with the the, the Lakers the one year, and then the next year we think, well, okay, we're going to get back there. We got a great team, and we're going to compete again. And Chris Weber goes down with a knee in, knee injury. That's it. We're done. And that's that was the season. And we got back to the playoffs, but we were never the same. But uh, you're you're a hundred percent right. It's so difficult to win a championship. It's impossible. Well, look how long it's taken me. Now, if you're the Yankees, you win you know twenty seven or however many they've won. But you know, there's that's the only one. But look how many teams go. 50, 60, 70, 100 years. Look at the Cubs. How many? How long did it take them to win the championship? So it, yeah. it's you. You can never take it. You can never take the championship for granted. And there's no guarantee that you're going to be back there again next year to win it. I mean, I think we have a great team next year that we'll we'll be competing. I hope, but there's no guarantees you're going to win it next year either. No, you mentioned your siblings. Um... That would be really interesting. Take me behind. Just give me a little bit behind closed doors with your siblings in an ownership position. You say you're all very competitive. Do do, do the do the discussions get competitive when it comes to decision making? I'd love to hear those those uh, those dinner discussions. Oh gosh. Well, you know everybody has an opinion. <laughs> but we yeah. when we had the, when we had the Kings. <laughs> well, this guy can't play. What's he doing? I said. Well, I said, I don't know. You know, then we'd call the GM late at night and say, what, what's going on with uh, so-and-so? And, and uh, so there'd be some heated debates. Yeah, there would be, especially, you know, in, in the NBA and, and NHL and, and baseball, you go four, five, six, seven games losing. You know, what, what's going on? You know, you think the, the world's coming to an end. But 
the general manager always told me, you know, in basketball, you're going to lose 40, 50 games. I mean, you're going to lose 30, 40 games. You're going to lose a lot of games. So you kind of have to, it's kind of, it's, I don't know if I should say this, but it's, you have to get accustomed to in basketball and all that. You have to be accustomed to losing. I don't say you get comfortable with losing, but you're going to lose, just like in baseball. How many yeah. how many games are you going to lose in baseball? You, I mean, you just it's going to happen. Well, I, I thought, you know, in baseball, it, it's such a marathon. And, you know, that's why the NFL is so different. It's once a week, and, man, everything's yeah. on that Sunday game. Whereas baseball, we go into a city for four nights. We got four games. And our, our, our goals are set on winning the series. We're going to lose a game. It's just don't lose don't lose the series. You know, sometimes right. you'll go in there and you'll sweep somebody, or when you're not hot, you'll get swept. But you're right; it, it's a marathon, and you got to have that mindset because losing is a part of the game in the in the other sports. Football now you, you can't lose too many games. Whereas no. baseball, yes, it's a 162 game schedule. Uh, if we win in in 2023. If you win 90 games, you're going to the postseason. So that that means a postseason team is going to lose 70 some odd games. Right. That's what uh, I'm and that's to cons- say. and that's considered a success. So yeah, yeah, very very interesting. But you're right. It, it's it's a mindset, and it's something. It's just grabbing the concept and knowing that no, we can't get bent out of shape at a loss. That's part of it. Just move on and let's win the series. I I have a question for you actually. All right, I'm all, all right. I love I love switching the seats around, Gavin. <laughs> uh, what do you what do you think of the A's coming to Las Vegas? I mean, how do you think they'll do? What do you what's your opinion of the whole situation? Well, obviously, you know the landscape in Las Vegas a lot better. Here's here's my thoughts on it. Uh, I think Las Vegas, whether it's the Oakland A's or somebody else, I think Las Vegas is going to have a franchise in the near future. Uh, I think they're expanding. I think they're going to go to 32. Vegas is definitely a hot spot. I know they've uh, okayed the land deal and kind of signed the papers. I still don't trust that the Oakland A's are coming to Las Vegas. I've seen this before. I don't know how I feel about it. For me, at the end of the day, I think what I want what's best for Major League Baseball. I want what's best for the game. Obviously, the fans have to be supportive of it. But I grew up and I, I remember those A's of the 70s with Reggie Jackson and Raleigh Fingers and those great teams. Um, and then I remember the Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, Eckersley, Dave Stewart A's that won a World Series. Um, and then when, in my time in the early 2000s, it was the Hudson, Mulder, Zito, uh, Jason Giambi and and Chavez and Matt, and. Uh, Johnny Damon in center field. And those were some great teams to take the Oakland A's and, and, and put them in Las Vegas seems very weird to me. You know, I think the city of Oakland, it's almost like when I was in Seattle and I was a Mariner at the time in the Seattle supersonics, I used to go to the games all the time and all of a sudden they up and left. And I thought you can't lose the Seattle supersonics. And sure enough, they did. So I think what's going on in Oakland right now, it's a tough situation, not only business-wise, but the team the way it is. I mean, that's that's a bad team. They're, they're easily the worst team in baseball right now. Their payroll's way down. Uh, ownerships is kind of in a flux. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, obviously, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes there. Mm-hmm. Something's got to change, uh, but I don't necessarily know if, if going to Las Vegas will do it. I think Las Vegas can support it. You, you know as well as anybody, in 2023, it's the venue. It's that big state-of-the-art. 
people want to come and see the product. Mm-hmm. Now, over time, that will that will go away. And now you've got to show that you got a winning product on the field. But I think mm-hmm. in the short term, if it's good for the game and the A's are going to be supported in, in uh, Las Vegas, I think you should go forward with it. But re- me as a as a purist and kind of a little bit old school of a baseball guy, man, mm-hmm. it seems awful weird for the Oakland A's not to be in Oakland, if you know what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough situation, like you said, and uh, I guess they couldn't get a stadium built in Oakland. So uh, I'm kind of putting my owner's hat on. I don't know what else he would do. The owner, I mean, he's got to go somewhere because it's yeah. not, I mean, they're, they're not drawn. I mean, they're getting no. 2000 people a game or something. Well, back it's, in the day, back in the day when I was a rookie coming into the league in, in the early nineties, the Oakland Coliseum was beautiful. It, it almost looked like Dodger Stadium from home plate. You looked out and you could see out into the horizon. Then they turned it into a, a baseball and football dual facility, and they kind of mucked it up a little bit. And now it's it's probably the eyesore of Major League Baseball, that and the Tampa Bay Stadium, uh, the Rays play in. Uh, nowadays, these state-of-the-art stadiums, it's tough to exist and, and have fans get excited to come to a venue when, you know, just last week they were in Pittsburgh and they got to go to that beautiful stadium or now just pick a stadium. They're all so nice and, and updated and new. It's tough to compete uh, with that Oakland Coliseum. Here's what I heard, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you might have some more insight. Back about, probably about 20 years ago, the Oakland A's had rights to the San Jose area. But somehow in a negotiation with the Giants, I don't know what they were negotiating over, the Giants obtained rights to the San Jose part where, where that was their fan base. So I think Oakland, when exploring places to build their, their new stadium, oh, we'll just go to San Jose. And the Giants said, oh, oh, no, that's our property. That's our fan base. You can't build there. I don't know if that's true or not. It makes a lot of sense if it is. And now you're kind of put in a position where uh, there there's no options for you in Oakland. You got to have a new stadium at this point. Yeah, and I, I yeah, I think they're they're running out of options, right? There's there's nothing left, and they they certainly can't stay in Oakland with that stadium, and that's not no, going to work because they're not. drawing two three thousand fans. They they can't compete. So I I, I think. The people here are pretty excited about it. Uh, if the A's do, do in fact come, I, I don't know the ownership group there. It's probably one of the few owners I don't do not know. But um, they they have a good location though. That I think uh, being on the strip, I mean they might get some, some walk-ins, but and and then the stadium is not that big. It's only thirty thousand fans. But I think that's good 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 for I think that's good for baseball. Though having a, a, a stadium that's not as not as right. big because you have so, so many it, games, right? Yeah. So it's always packed. Um, right, right. You, you've got the Aviators over there in in Las Vegas, that AAA affiliate of of uh, the Oakland A's, and I heard that stadium's beautiful. When I was in the minor leagues, I was in the uh, the Pacific Coast League, and Vegas had it had a team uh, that was in AAA. Um, how is that aviator stadium? And I'll, and I'll tell you the thing I think that baseball had. Okay. Football, hockey, basketball. That's one thing being in the city of Las Vegas. I think one thing baseball will worry about is because we play every day. You know, for a football team, uh, 
you fly in on a, on a Friday night, you go through your walkthrough on Saturday, you're kind of quarantined in your room. You're not in the city party and you get ready because you got one game and that's really important. You play the game, you fly out. Baseball, we play 162. It's a different animal. We don't prepare one night. We don't go home and get a good night's sleep because we do it every day. So I'm thinking big league ball players, four days at a time, Sin City, something (laughs) might happen. (laughs) But that's not for me to worry about. That's for yeah, well, these are are grown men. (laughs) They make their own decisions. But that is a fun, believe me, I've had my time in Vegas. That's a fun city. It's a fun city, and we always thought we had maybe a competitive advantage over some of the teams that were traveling, yeah, yeah. because uh, they do they do get out and have fun. But hey, you know you can have fun in any city. That's true. <laughs> if you That's you true. can you, you have to have a little bit of discipline, but but they're grown men and they do what they do. And uh, you know the NBA sometimes we'd have guys go out all night and and drink and 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 and, and then we'd come back and. The next game, they have a career game. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> believe so me, who I, knows? I, right, right. I, I've had some of those nights back in back in my childhood days. <laughs> I, call the, I call my 20s and 30s. That's when I was in my childhood days. Yes. Um, all right. We'll keep on the topic of Vegas. Uh, the Palms. You open the Palms, it's a huge deal. The real world comes in. MTV makes a show. That's back when I watched the real world all the time. But it kind of put the palms on the map. That was the big play. That was the hot spot, especially uh, for younger people to go when they went to Las Vegas. How involved were you in that process? Were you were you a part of the filming of that? And what was that like for you getting into the big time hotel business in Las Vegas? Well, it was very exciting. I mean, we we really loved it. That, that, now that's my brother George. So George ran the palms. Joe and I ran the team, and uh, Philip helped as well. Uh, but but it was it was incredible. I mean, we had. I, I remember when we oh, first opened the Palms. We the line of cars to get to the Palms was about three miles long, and and these ladies were yelling at us because we they said we overmarketed because it was so crowded. But it was really really a lot of fun, and we had. Like you said, we had we had movie stars, athletes. We had the Kings there. We had other NBA players. We had football. We had it was it was incredible. But it was a great period in our life, and I'll always cherish the moments that we had. And uh, and then George Red, uh, there was no casino operator probably as, as good as my brother George Maloof. I'm not just bragging about him. Uh, Steve Wynn said there's only one person in that he'd ever let run his properties, and that was George Maloof. My brother George was a student of the game. He he understood the hotel business, and I mean, it just he just created this monster, and it was it was a lot of fun. And we had the best restaurants ever. We had, we won all the awards, and uh, so we we got offered some money, and we sold it. But but it was it was a great time in our life, and we'll all, we'll never forget it. Uh, recently. Uh, had a guest on here, Doug Ellen. He's the creator of um, Entourage, the HBO series. Mm-hmm. And he's big into pickleball. And he's into this. He's got a pickleball court at his house. That's kind of the new thing. I know your latest endeavor. And, and tell me what it is. It's the Pro Padel League. It, it's kind of a tennis tennis racquetball combination. Tell me about that. I know you're involved. I know you. I, I think you have a team, right, in Las Vegas. 
Yes, we. It's called the Las Vegas Smash. Uh, we're we're minority owner. The main owner is Henry Strasser. He's out of Toronto. Tremendous person. Really great guy. We won the championship. We won the championship in the Pro P Paddle League, Padel League, and um, it's it's really uh, it's really interesting because Henry, I've known from uh, being here in Las Vegas. He called me one day. He says, "Hey, would you like to be part owner in this Pro Paddle League?" I says, well, is that pickleball? And he says, no, paddleball. It's completely different. Right. Paddleball is like tennis on steroids, and it's so competitive. It's so fun. You should try playing it sometime. It's really fun. It's like racquetball, squash meets tennis. And you can and there's four walls, and they hit the ball over the wall. And it's really, really incredible. We had the, the tournament. Uh, there's seven teams. We had the tournament in Miami. I mean, excuse me, in Tampa, uh, just recently, we won the championship. We got a big, huge cup that we won, and uh, it's incredible. The, the, the league is expanding, I think, by three or four more teams next year, maybe more, but it's exploding. See, it's, it was really big in Europe. It had, uh, in Europe, it's uh, Argentina, Mexico, uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's really, really Spain. Really big. They've been playing it for since 1969. It just hasn't hit the United States, but it's hugely popular, and it's starting to really catch a lot of steam here in the United States. And so we got in as, as a, on the ground floor. We're the one of the original seven franchises. There's seven franchises, but you you should try playing it. It's you'd really enjoy. It, but warm up first. <laughs> well, I got a question. Where do I go play it? Like, where's the where's the Padel, where's the Padel? Well, yeah, what kind of what kind of venue is it? Is it it's four walls? Is it glass walls? Yes, glass like walls. Where, just where, like, would you, where would you go play it? I'm starting to see pickleball uh, courts pop up all over. I'm in I'm in Southern California, so I see a lot of pickleball. But where would I find a padel court? Well, that's that's just it. There's not as many. They're, they're building a, a a bunch of them. They said. Within five years, there'll be 10 million players in the U.S. playing paddleball. But you have to – I guess you'd have to check in L.A., but there is a team in L.A. We have a, a team in L.A., but there's there's some paddleball courts. You really enjoy it. I mean, you and it's co – You so the way our league works, you have men and you have women's. So the men – there's uh, two men compete against two men. Then two women compete against two women – and then if if it's tied uh, through that series, just like like tennis, then you go to mixed doubles, and right. that's the deciding factor, the, the game three of the mixed doubles. But it's so fun, I mean, and you can, it's outdoors. You can take your wife or whomever you know, and, and and play against other people as well. But it's so much more fun than pickleball. Pickleball is like you know you're playing ping pong. I mean right. it's okay, but it's. It's not like paddleball. Wait, if maybe you could Google it when you when you get off the broadcast. But you, it's fun. It's fun. But just warm up. I went try to you, play. I I used to play a lot of racquetball, right. so I understand the whole sport. You play it. You play the paddleball now. Well, I well I tried. <laughs> uh, well, I tried, and then I pulled a muscle on my calf. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, you got to warm was, up. <laughs> well, yeah. Hello. I know you would think I'd know that by now. I was out about three weeks, but but it's so much fun. You'd really enjoy it. Okay. 
Well, Gavin Maloof, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the Boone Podcast today. Uh, what a life you've led. That's, that's a lot of excitement. Once again, congratulations on the Stanley Cup. Man, that, that it's such an awesome thing. And, and uh, a once-in-a-lifetime thing, actually. And, and you know the rigors and what it took to finally win a championship. Congratulations on that. For all of you out there listening to the Boone Podcast, I appreciate you listening. We'll see you next time.